Welcome to the Common Sense Gospel. I am Danny Simmons. And I'm Kurt Norbit. And today we have pictures from the water. We're going to look at the Word of God. There's so many marvelous things that the Lord shows to us in the water and through the water. We're just going to look at a couple of those uh, as the Lord gives us time and study that with all of you. Thank you so much for joining us. We are pleased to have you with us. Yeah, we're going to look at some of the, the pictures, as you said, Danny, that describe for us what is accomplished in baptism. As I was thinking of this, it, I, I don't know if I'd ever really considered this before, but the first gospel command that we find in the New Testament after the gospel of Christ has been established by his death on the cross, and then Acts chapter 2, the apostles are preaching the first sermon, first gospel sermon. The first command we find is Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, every one of you, for the remission of your sins, and you'll receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. So looking at that, and when Philip was sent to, to engage the Ethiopian eunuch as he was reading Isaiah 53 and not understanding what he, what he was reading there, we're told that Philip preached Jesus to him. And his immediate response, as soon as he saw some water, is what's hindering me to be baptized. That's right. So that indicates to us that immersion in water in the name of Jesus is a part of the gospel and it's extremely important. Mm. And so what we're going to look at is several pictures in the New Testament that indicate for us why it's important, what's accomplished in baptism. And lest, lest anyone kind of feel like we're getting off track or, or may have an objection, baptism itself, just, well, okay, I'll go get wet. I'll have this guy dunk me underwater and then everything's good. That is not going to save you. Mm. It is an act of faith in Jesus Christ, as we're going to see in some other uh, examples we're going to use today. We're obeying Jesus Christ by faith, and God is working in baptism and accomplishing these things. Yeah. And... Uh, that's what we're going to see starting, uh, I guess, with an obvious one, Romans chapter 6 uh, and verses 1 through 6, where we see a picture here of, that involves the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul says in Romans 6, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it. So there's, there's the crux of his point. Yep. We've died to sin. Okay, what's involved in that? Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, and that we should no longer be slaves of sin. So when, when did we die to sin that we should no longer live in it? What, what's involved here? Well, he tells, he tells us. us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it just a, it, 
we picture here our death to sin and our burial into that death and then rising again to walk in life, a newness of life, and it's all based on the reality and the power of Jesus' resurrection. And so just as he died and was buried and rose again, so we need to die, be buried, and rise again. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4, that's the foundation of the gospel, right. the death, resurrection, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So there's a, the first picture that popped into my mind in considering this theme is here's a picture of what Jesus accomplished in his death, burial, and resurrection from the dead. Therefore, here's a picture of what is being accomplished for us in our death, burial, and resurrection. Mm -hmm. Jesus is the one who is the example for that. It's his power that lays behind it. And it's his, it's his confidence. It's the confidence we have in him that if we believe Jesus really did rise from the dead, then I can believe I've risen from the dead too and that ultimately I'll rise from the dead. Absolutely. That, that not only I'll be, I'll be given spiritual life here because my sins are forgiven, but I'll also have eternal life with him in heaven because my sins have been forgiven. Yeah. That's a really beautiful picture. You have an individual who is, recognizes sin in their own life and that they're guilty of that sin. So there, there's accountability there that we apply upon ourselves. We want to repent and turn from that. And baptism is given to us in Romans 6 is the crucifixion of the old man. Right. I am putting him to death because mm -hmm. as long as I let him live, he is, he is taking me to hell with his, with his actions and with his sin. So I crucify the old man. And the beautiful thing about the Lord and what he's doing is that I don't have to be crucified as Jesus was. The, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Yes. But I, I do need to acknowledge that I am, I'm in opposition to God in the condition that I'm in. And that when I begin to turn, that I, I understand he must be put to death because sin cannot live or abide in an adopted son or daughter of mm -hmm. God and, th and then be truly children of God because there is no sin in God. And so we, we are trying to reflect that same thing. Uh, so that, that's a very interesting picture of someone who is confessing the name of Jesus, they're repenting, turning away from their sin, being buried, being crucified, as Romans 6 says, then coming up a new creature. And then Paul says, well, what should we say? Should we sin that grace may abound? Yeah. He says, oh, that's not even can't close. To, yeah. I know that would be someone's conclusion, be. but that can't be the conclusion because mm -hmm. Christ died to sin to help us have a way to, to be saved from our sins. We're trying to get away from it, not embrace it. Exactly. So it, yeah. that's insanity, but that is a beautiful picture of this moment in the water that mm -hmm. Paul says, here's where all of these things happen. Yep. Is when you go down in faith, like you said, and you and you bury that old man, that when you come up, when you raise up from that, there's a picture there of mm -hmm. Christ raising from the dead. And then the, the obvious picture the reality of us raising up a new creature um, as a child of God. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff happening there. Colossians 2.12 mm -hmm. um, tells us that we are buried with Christ in baptism. That's the same exact wording as Romans 6. We are buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So we're buried with Christ. We're raised with Christ. 
That's two things we've done with him. Mm-hmm. We're raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So this idea of, well, how do I know that I've done all that I need to do or I don't feel any different, if something like that was to come up and say, well, this is the mighty work of God, we have to acknowledge that we've done what he's commanded us and that the mighty work of God is completed in those who are faithful because the reason you and I know it works is because Christ is raised Mm -hmm. from the dead. That's our evidence, which reminds me of Romans 8 in verse 11. Paul tells Christians there, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So Colossians 2, 12 tells us that God raised him from the dead. Romans 8, 11 says the spirit of God has raised Jesus from the dead. And that same spirit of God will give life to our mortal bodies through his spirit, like a spirit of God, obviously, who dwells in you. And so this picture of the the power and the working of God through faithful obedience. If we're wondering about whether or not this has been enough or good enough for the Lord, Romans 8 and 11 Mm. says that that spirit which raised him from the dead is the same spirit that dwells within us and guides us and leads us and keeps us from sin. In fact, you know, there's there's so much discussion these days, I guess there always has been, of the relationship between grace and faith and baptism and Mm-hmm. works generally uh, baptism is a work I'll agree but it's whose work is it well Paul here says it's the working of God right and I would assert that when you read uh, verses 11 12 that's God exercising his grace by grace he has extended to us the offer of salvation we didn't do anything to deserve that that's right it's purely by his grace yep of his own goodwill. He offers it to us without anything on our part and not even deserving it. Mm -hmm. We deserve destruction and judgment. But through faith that God is performing these things that he said he would, I have an objective reality to tie that to. I have done what the Lord told me to do. I want to submit to him and so if I obey his commands in, these, in this area, this is what's going to be the result. It doesn't depend on how I feel that day. Right. Or I didn't come up and feel a great weight lifted off of me or anything. Yeah. You know, I've been there on the other side of that. I once accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior and prayed that uh, he come into my heart and be my Savior and my Lord, just like the common message that we have today. And I felt a a relief, Mm -hmm. a a weight lifted off of me. And people will go by that and say, well, see, there's, that's the Holy Spirit working. There's the evidence right there. You never see that offers as evidence in the scriptures. That's right. The evidence is God has commanded this act. I have submitted to his authority and obeyed it along with all of his other commands and all the rest of his will. And having done that, I know that he'll keep his promise, that this is what's being, this is what I'm doing. Yet you're letting someone put you in the water. Here's what I'm accomplishing. And if I have faith in God, I have to accept that. 
Absolutely. That's where my trust is. Yeah. That's why the, the Ethiopian eunuch went on his way rejoicing. Yes. It wasn't exactly. that he felt he had some emotional, overwhelming feeling of the spirit or any of that. He went on his way rejoicing because he understood. And Philip told him what he needed to do mm-hmm. to have his sins washed by preaching Jesus Christ. So he was excited. He was rejoicing because he believed the message that was given to him, yeah. and he obeyed it. Yep. So he has every reason to rejoice and to be thankful for that. He heard the, go- heard the gospel, which produced faith that he acted on. Yeah. There's well, a picture from the water there for sure. Yes, it's a, and it's a beautiful one. Um, another one we wanted to look at gives us a picture of family, which unfortunately has kind of lost its importance in our culture today. Mm-hmm. But family is really the nucleus of everything. People rightly point out that it is, it is the nucleus. It's the foundation of a, of a society that you have a nuclear family having children and raising them up to be the next generation in that society. Yep. So Paul here is looking in, in Galatians 3.26 at uh, a picture of being made a part of God's family. And to put that in context is because of, of our spiritual condition and because of our rebellion against God and turning our backs on him, we've spiritually orphaned ourselves. We have no father. Right. We've separated ourselves from that. That's true. But God, in his grace and mercy, wants children. Mm-hmm. He wants us to come back. But we've, we're not in the family. So here's a picture uh, which Paul in other places, like Romans 8 and Galatians 4, a little farther in our text here, and Ephesians chapter 1 talks about adoption. Jesus is begotten of the Father. He, he is the actual child of God, fathered by the Eternal Father. We are adopted into that family as Jesus' brother. He's our elder brother. And, of course, Hebrews promises that's, that that being the case, we get to share an inheritance with him. Well, how do we come into that relationship? Well, Paul says in Galatians 3.26, You are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Really, Paul? How, how so? For as many as you, of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Mm. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So how do we become heirs according to that promise? Well, we have to be a member of the family. We have to be one of the children. They're the only ones who get the inheritance. And we obtain that inheritance by being baptized into Christ. We're all sons of God through faith in Christ. Because as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put him on. So it's a beautiful picture then that when we put on Christ is when we become children of God. That's when we're brought into his family. Now we have his tender fatherly care for us. Uh, as Paul says in Romans, we can come to him as our Abba. That's right. That intimate relationship. And it's interesting, Jesus is, up, up to his time, he's the only person in the Bible that, that addressed Jehovah as his father. Right, yeah. Which was 
that's one thing the Jews really disliked about him. It had to have really surprised them to hear in him fact, talk In fact, they wanted to put him to death in John 10 because he, made, he called God his father, making himself equal with God. Mm-hmm. They understood that. Yep. But there was that intimate relationship, the, the son with his father. And in Jesus, we get to share that too. That's right. And it's, it's, it's sad that the family has been so abused and just kind of negated and attacked and its influence has lost its authority in our yeah. society because it's harder for us to see that picture now. Yeah. But if you've ever wanted family, if you want a God, a father who loves you and brothers and sisters who love you, that can be found in Christ. By God's grace, he's provided it for us and he accomplishes it in baptism based on this picture. That's absolutely right. And it's, it's like you said, I think it's, it's a good point. It's unfortunate that we have, uh, there's all co- sorts of situations in this world that people have a family setting that they've grown up under or mm-hmm. grown up in that was broken or there was an abusive father or mother in the home. And, and it really deflects from what is intended in the scriptures. This, and and I, I think it's hard to reach those who are really, really scarred by that because yes. you start talking to them about you know getting in the family and being part of the family, that's not always a that's good thing attractive. these days. Yeah. And yet, in a, in, from the heavenly perspective, it is everything. Mm-hmm. To have the family unit and everyone, everything in its proper place with a God with whom there are no strings attached. You know, uh, some fathers in the home, they, they only treat their sons well when they, when they play good in the baseball game. Right. Because men are really like that, you know. We all have that some at some level trying to live vicariously through our children or uh, just a straight-out abusive. And so you say, well, you can be the son of, and that, that may not sound very good to, to some people, which we have to start fresh, I think, mm-hmm. in that moment to help them and to refresh our own minds, but to help them understand that your father on the earth is just a, a type or a picture of what God the Father is. Um, and none, no father on earth has done honor to, to all that That's that means. Right. I failed miserably in that, uh, never trying to, but I'm sure not the Lord. Mm-hmm. And I've, I, you know, I've led and guided the best I can. But you know how, how troubling that is for me if um, the boys, children, our children are turned away from God, turned off by this picture of family and God because of how their fathers ruled the house. Uh, the Lord knows all those things. And so... I believe with all my heart that there's there's a way even for those of us who've had a really difficult time mm-hmm. in the home to to understand that this is this is a an eternal love mm-hmm. it's a perfect love uh, nothing but our best is in consideration when the father moves it is for our very best good possible every time and so yeah we, we need to become more comfortable with that so that when you think of Father and Son, and, and that we're adopted through faith in Jesus Christ. That's such a blessing, and, and, and nothing can surpass that on the earth or in heaven. There's nothing greater than being secured by this salvation that's been yeah. given by the grace of God. So again, you know, grace. Those. Mm-hmm. So well, my dad never showed any grace. Well, the Lord's not yeah. your dad, <laughs> and, and yeah. you know, as serious yeah. as that is, He's far greater than any human father. Yeah, and in fact, in Jesus, that can be overcome if we want to overcome it. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, that that can sometimes become an excuse for not obeying yeah. the Lord. Mm-hmm. 
uh, and sometimes it's it's a fearful response, which that is not right either. That, well, I I never had a father who wrapped his arms around me, mm-hmm. who who held me when I was suffering. Uh, and I know that how that feels, but. Jesus can teach us what it's like to have the Father wrap his arms around us. Yeah. Um, and so we can learn how important and how beautiful the picture of a family, of a godly family as it should be and as it is in Christ. It is the right family because I have an older brother who died for me so that I could be part of this. And I have a heavenly Father who was willing to allow that to happen who gave up his son for the same reason so that I could be in the family. And I'll I'll say again, that's one of the great blessings I think we have here at Northwest is there is such a family attitude here concerning spiritual things. Yeah. We're happy to see each other. We're involved in each other's lives when there's a need, people are right there giving all the help that's needed as much as they can provide to help in that. And I think that gives glory to the, to the Father. That's what, he, that's what he desires, and that he, that's what he wants to see. From his family. Yeah, his family <laughs> is behaving yeah. like a family. Exactly. They're loving each other and caring for each other. Well, that brings us to our last picture, uh, and this will be found in First Peter chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, which Peter actually clearly says, there's a type here, a type and an anti-type. Hmm. So this is a picture uh, of what's going on. Yeah. And as you and I were, were talking before our uh, podcast here, we were both sharing examples of just how powerful this statement of Peter is, how it has changed lives when people will stop and accept it for what it says. Mm-hmm. What we see here in First Peter 3.20 is... Of course, uh, Peter is talking about the background of the flood and the ark that Noah built and the salvation of him and his uh, seven family members. And he says, uh, when uh, once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight souls were saved through water. Well, how were they saved through water? Well, they got into the ark, and it was the water that lifted up that ark and separated them from a sinful world. Exactly. And so he says there is also an anti-type. So there is a, a picture, there's a, a fulfillment of that, that type, that picture, of them being separated from the world by water. Mm-hmm. And Peter directly applies it. There's an anti-type which now saves us, namely baptism through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So it's not the ark that's the focus here. A lot of people try to place it there because this is a highly contested passage. And I I believe it's because it's so clear that those who deny the necessity of baptism really have to spend some effort to try to make this say something other than it's saying. Mm -hmm. They're trying to negate the idea that Peter is saying, baptism now saves us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, someone will say, well, you're not reading the whole passage. 
you forgot not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of good conscience toward God. Well, the reason I didn't read it, I know it's there and I'm not trying to evade it, <laughs> but it's a side note. Yeah. It's a parenthetical statement, which I can take out of the text and still keep the integrity of the text. Mm -hmm. So, and this ties really right back to Romans 6, because look again where this picture gets its power. There's an antitype which now saves us, namely baptism, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yep. That is what's being applied to us. It's not getting wet. Right. The power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is what stands behind this, this picture and this act of obedience. Yep. Whatever is accomplished in baptism, and we've looked at that, Colossians 2, whatever God is working here is because of the resurrection of Jesus, which shows just how important the resurrection is. In three of the four examples we've looked at, the resurrection is definitely, is directly tied to it. Yeah. It's this way because of the resurrection of Jesus. Yep. So, how can I be saved if I haven't connected myself with the resurrection of Christ? Yeah. How can I be saved before being united together with him in the likeness of his death and his resurrection, Romans 6? How can I be saved before putting on Christ and become, becoming one of God's children in him? How can I be saved if I haven't been separated by the, from the sinful world by the water yet, right. 1 Peter 3. Yeah. Uh, I can't be saved unless I've been allowed that water, so to speak, to lift the ark up in my life yep. and separate me from the world. So I'm just applying the antitype when I obey the gospel in baptism. And rightly so. The, many times the scriptures refer to baptism as the washing of yes, washing away of your sins. Mm -hmm. um, there's also this connection of this is how we come in contact with the blood of Christ. We're washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. Peter says that in his epistle that we're washed. Are we cleansed in the precious blood? We're redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. uh, Revelation says that to him, Jesus Christ, who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, mm -hmm. has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Uh, so there, that statement there that he has washed us uh, in his own precious blood is, is very, very important because it's another part of that. And so, mm -hmm. you know, to, to take this position of, well, I don't think I'm going to need to do that or uh, be, be careful. I need to understand what the New Testament says when speaking mm -hmm. about those things. Um, and, and again, I think Peter just addressing that, it's not the washing away of filth from the flesh. You're going to yeah. get wet, but yeah. it's not this, but it's that, right? right? And it, and it's the, a not the but, but statement, uh -huh. yeah, is, is showed to strengthen the but part of it, which is it's not going to remove yeah. the filth of the flesh. Although it might, you might be a filthy animal when you get into to the water. I yeah. don't know that. But that's not why you're doing that's it. That's the deal, yeah. It's an it's, answer of a good conscience toward God, that right. you believe his word and you're in line with his teaching uh, to be raised from the dead and to be called his child. So faith obviously is, is involved in that. The baptism itself is, is an obedient mm -hmm. act towards God with a good and clear conscience that what you've heard, the gospel, is true, and you understand what you need to do, mm -hmm. and you are doing it. Now, I like that you made that point because when we talk about baptism and put emphasis on it, then people draw the wrong conclusion whether 
accidentally and in ignorance or purposely drawing it so they can attack it. Mm. And it's, oh, well, you're just teaching it's all baptism. You know, what about grace? What We've talked about that. And you brought in the blood. It's not the water that's washing us, spiritually speaking. Like Peter says, yeah, okay, it'll be a washing of the flesh. It's the blood that washes us, yeah. not the water. Hebrews says it twice. We've been sprinkled with a blood that's greater than that of Abel. Right. That's what Hebrews tells us. Mm-hmm. So again, what's all this sprinkling and washing with blood about? Yeah. Jesus has shed his blood that we might pass through that blood. Baptism. Right. Is what and that's, that's the question, really. At when is that blood applied to my sins? Mm-hmm. When does Jesus wash my sins away by that sinless blood? The Bible says it's in baptism. Clearly. That's, that is the objective point of contact. Uh, I mean, there has to be a point at which Jesus forgives our sins. (laughs) We need to know that. So where is that? Is it because I prayed a prayer and felt better afterwards? Or is it an objective command of God who says, you do this and I will perform this work? Yeah, and you can look in the New Testament and see the Lord added daily those who were being saved. Yes. How? Who were they? What did they do? Yeah. We can look at all of that in the book of they Acts. Were they, they were those who obeyed the command That's to repent right. and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. It yeah. comes right after that. So those things are crucial uh, with the discussion that... Uh, we can know objectively. I love that. I'm glad that you keep saying that because that's very, very important. Anybody can look at the Word of God and know for themselves that they've done that which was commanded them to do. Mm-hmm. And that's just a such a peaceful thing because I don't need to wait for somebody to tell me what's next or what, you know, what they've come up with for me to do or how many doors I need to knock on or <laughs> how far I have to ride my bicycle. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Yes. I mean, none of those things have to do with what the Bible teaches. So we can cut through all that mess and get to what God truly wants from us, and we can follow it. That's just a great thing. That's the common sense gospel. That's what we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> well said. Well, thank you. <laughs> Very good. Do you have anything else to finish that? I know First no. Peter 3 was a big one, a big yeah, part of that. that's a, a big one. And uh, I mean, there are others we didn't have time to address today. Yeah. And so I'd encourage folks, you had mentioned 1 Corinthians 10, verses uh, 1 through oh, 13, there's a yeah. lot of Old Testament imagery there that's being presented as a picture of what we can accomplish. That's right. What's being applied to us. Uh, so I'd encourage someone in, in light of the scriptures we've looked at today to also look at 1 Corinthians 10 and, and read through Acts and look at the instances of conversion and see what those people did. That's right. And when the Bible tells us that they rejoiced or that they were brought into the household of faith, they were now part of the work of the church, we, we can acknowledge those things as we read through this. And that's very good for us because mm-hmm. we, we just want to follow the New Testament, which, again, I believe brings a lot of peace uh, to those who are truly looking into it and concerned about that. Mm-hmm. So that's all good for us. Um, we do have trivia questions for those who are waiting to hear those <laughs> and waiting to knock one out of the park. Because there we go. <laughs> we're going to give you a few uh, questions you can think about, see if you know the answer to. What's question number one, Kurt? Well, I've got one out of uh, Second Timothy this in our podcast today. Okay. Uh, when you read that passage, Paul warns Timothy of a, an individual who did him much harm. What was the name of that individual and what was his trade? That's Alexander the Coppersmith. Yes, sir. There you go. Nice. I heard the crack of the bat that time. Yeah, <laughs> I knocked that one into center field. I was I was thinking just for a second because there's Hymenaeus and... Phy- uh, Philetus? 
Is it Hymenaeus? <laughs> Miletus and Hymenaeus. Yeah. But they were teaching yeah. that the resurrection had already taken place yeah. uh, mm-hmm. for all humanity or what have you. Um, and the, the, he was warning about them as well. But yes, Alexander the coppersmith had done me much harm. Mm-hmm. Wow. It I doesn't specify why. what he did, but it was apparently pretty serious. Being a coppersmith, you maybe have a little idolatry stuff on the side. I kind of. We don't know that. Yeah, we don't know, but it was enough to warn Timothy about him. All right. Because this man was dangerous. Good. Um. (laughs) Are you having second thoughts on your question? I am. For some reason, I feel Uh like I'm having deja vu. Uh, I realize at some point we may ask the same question. That's okay. Um, I'll get it right this time. (laughs) We'll see. And maybe you can tell me if this sounds familiar to you. Um, Who who murdered John the Baptist? Uh, No, you haven't answered that one before, but it was Herod. Herod. Yeah. Why? Had him beheaded at the instigation of Herodias and her daughter. Her daughter danced at a party. Yeah. Herod made the classic situation. Him being partied up. He, he didn't he feared John that's right uh, because he enjoyed he re- listening to him yeah he recognized that he was proclaiming the word of God but he he was I don't know aroused excited anyway he wanted to reward Herodias daughter for her dancing before all the men in the party so I'll give you whatever you want up to half my kingdom and she went and said mom what should I ask for and Ask for the head of John the Baptist. Here's my chance. Here's yeah. my chance. The one guy who's causing trouble. Yep. Let's get rid of him. So the whole family was involved, but it was Herodias who gave the order. And you know that Herod, haunted Herod, I should say. That haunted Herod because yes. when yep. when the word of Jesus begins to come around, he says, This is this none is other John than the John Baptist. the Baptist raised from the dead. Yes, interesting. Right. Always, that must have I've kept always, him up uh, at night. That has always been an interesting response. I've always thought about that. He thought highly of John the yeah. Baptist. Cool. But to think, you know, he's risen from the dead. Not a lot of experience with people rising from the dead. I mean, <laughs> the scriptures do record a few instances. Right. But Herod, Herod came to that conclusion. And it's, people were saying that he was one of the prophets. Elijah, Jeremiah, you know. So yeah. it wouldn't be too much of a stretch to think, okay, I think it's John the Baptist. Because hmm. I'm guilty as I can be about what happened to John. That's hmm. embarrassing. Yeah. What's your second one? Second one is... Uh, I think pretty direct and easy. What European city was the first to hear the gospel? <laughs> Man. You see, now I've got to run through all the missionary journeys. Where'd he go? <laughs> well, I know they were trying to get somewhere. I'm looking for something. <laughs> so I'm looking for something here. Yeah, he was, he was trying to get somewhere, Danny. <laughs> okay. They, they wanted to go this way. Yes. But the Spirit forbid them. Yeah. Uh-huh. I'm on the right track. Yes. So it has to be Macedonia. Is my Macedonia is an area though? Yes. So because the, the Macedonian call, oh man, where did they first go? Iconium. This this not. No, Iconium is in um, Asia. I don't they, know. They I mean, left, I would... they left Troas, and you touched on it. They heard a man from Macedonia say, "Come over and help us." Yeah. So you're on the right track. I just don't, I mean, I don't have the map in my mind. I'm thinking it could be Corinth. No, Corinth's way down south. See, I don't have the map in my mind. I, mean, I thought I made that clear. <laughs> yeah, I'm a uh, history geography guy, so this so is I am all... frustrating. <laughs> Come on, buddy. <laughs> wow. I'm going to wrap your knuckles the with a ruler. first European city? Uh-huh. Who, who brought it to them? Paul and Barnabas? 
Paul and Silas? Uh, it would have been Paul and Silas. Philippi? Yes, there you go. Man, I knew if I asked Ta-da. you enough questions. <laughs> we need, we need uh, Ellen here to hit those symbols. <laughs> yep, you got it. They, they, Acts 16. Uh, in fact, we'll just take a look at that for a moment. They left Troas, and you were right. He, he wanted to go into Bithynia, and the, the yep. Spirit of the Lord stopped him, and they decided to go into northern Asia, and the Spirit would have none of that. And then he got the vision of the Macedonian man. Yep. And so they concluded that the Spirit wanted, to, wanted them to go there. Um, so in Acts 16, verse 12, well, verse 11 picks up the journey. Therefore, sailing from Troas, which is northwest Asia, and it's actually not that long a trip from Troas to Philippi. It's right. pretty yeah. short. There's not a great deal of, uh, of the sea separating those. We ran a straight course to Samothrace, the next day came to Neapolis, which is the seaport for Philippi. And from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. Uh, and there we, we were staying in that city for some days. So Philippi, the first European city to hear the word of God in, in Jesus Christ, the, the gospel of Christ. I was going to follow it up with who's the first European convert, but that's pretty obvious is it <laughs> it's got to be Lydia yes it is because then Phil, uh, the Philippine jail yep. was next they, they went down to the riverside because that was a place of prayer yep and Lydia constrained them to come to her house and then she and her whole household heard the gospel and obeyed They're baptized and right. apparently she hosted the church and and hosted Paul as they yep. began the work there yep so second question for you and the rest right. of the world is who wrote most of the books in the New Testament. Uh, <laughs> okay, books is Paul. Yeah, how many? Oh, my. <laughs> Let me count them up if you want to take the time. You don't know? Man, Not off the top of my that. head. I think it's 13. Yeah, it's 13. Okay. I'm just fig- I was trying to figure out whether you're going to try to lump the Hebrews in there or not. Well, I'll say this. If you go by number of books, it's Paul. Mm-hmm. Number of words, if you, if I, as I believe that Paul dictated Hebrews to Luke, okay, is is my position. We don't know that for sure. But that's where yeah. that's where you are today. Then, okay. if Luke wrote it down, he wrote most of the New Testament as far as number of words, because he's got the longest gospel, the longest book, and then records Hebrews. Well, it's good. But then other... you could say, well, Paul then wrote Hebrews because he dictated the letter. However, one thing that kept Hebrews from being included into the canon of inspired scripture for so long is that the author does not identify himself. Right. Well, why didn't Paul identify himself? I don't know. There's certainly Pauline thoughts and Pauline trends, Pauline's methods of, of argumentation in Hebrews, but I don't believe he wrote it because... The text of Hebrews is high Greek. It's it's very which uh, leans to Luke. Yeah, it's it's very um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not simple, scholarly, or rough. It's it's more scholarly, more refined is the word I'm mm. I'm looking for. Refined Greek. Yeah. It, you, when you compare Hebrews to Paul's letters that he dictated to Tertius, for example, in Romans and other letters, that Greek is a lot rougher. But 
Luke was an educated uh, Gentile, a doctor, who obeyed the gospel, and so his classical training, I think, is shown uh, in the writing of Hebrews. Well, since we're talking about it, Hebrews 2.3 is a passage that was very important for, if you're trying to, trying to decide who the writer is, Hebrews 2.3, I think, is key. Because it says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? Mm. That can't be Paul. Paul heard yeah. Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 1, he makes it yeah, clear. Directly. I did not receive it from men. This man says, we heard it from those who heard Christ himself. Yeah. That takes Paul out of the picture. Yep. If yeah, just, we heard it from those who heard. Right. Yeah. And just looking at that, it takes him out. Yeah, there's uh, a lot of argumentation on that. So we could end up in a, an argument yeah. ourselves. <laughs> but the, the other thing, at the very end of the letter, he says, our beloved brother Timothy. Yes. Paul yeah, always so calls him close my son in the faith. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to say. Fellow soldier. I don't think you can be dogmatic to say it was Paul, and I don't think you can be dogmatic to say it's not. I wouldn't. I wouldn't uh, fight over that. The only long. thing I can be dogmatic about is that the Holy Spirit wrote Hebrews. Absolutely. A sinner saved by grace yep. wrote the words of Hebrews. Mm -hmm. And I'm thankful to God for that as well. He saved these men before they started writing. It's yep. awesome. Yep. Well, very good. We hope that you all out there did well on your trivia questions. I know that I know you all are taking notes, and you know that I've <laughs> been far nicer uh, to Kurt than he has to me. But um, oh. we're not keeping score. I'm not asking people to go back and listen. But I am ahead. <laughs> All right, we're going to cut it off right there. Yeah, we better. Uh, thank you for joining us today. We're always glad that you've uh, chosen some of the time out of your day to, to hear us uh, go over some things that God has provided for us to think about, to know, to learn, to understand, and to grow in his grace and his knowledge day by day. Thank you so much for joining us. Amen.